I am, uh, I'm in, I'm an odd mindset tonight, and, uh, no, it's funny, pastor mentioned it this morning, how Brother Moffat and the message that he preached, and Brother Livingston, and so, uh, changing my mind at the last minute's not happening, all right, um, Genesis chapter 3, if you would grab your Bibles to go to Genesis chapter 3, I thought about changing some things and I've had a couple messages in my mind over, over the weekend and I was very settled on this this afternoon and so I don't think the Lord is moving anything different but Things happen, your mind kind of goes all over the place, and I find that the Lord is not schizophrenic, all right? So we're going to just stick with what we got here in uh, Genesis chapter 3, and we'll see what the Lord does tonight. Verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat, in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now, uh, here you are, and, and we're here in Genesis chapter 3, and it's probably, I mean, this is a Sunday night crowd, so this is a familiar spot probably to you, right? This is, uh, of course, Adam and Eve, there's only two human beings on the planet. The serpent, of course, the devil shows up. And he wants something to happen here. And what the devil wants is he wants to make the view that Eve has of this tree in particular. He wants to change her perspective. He wants to go ahead and move the way that she sees some things so that he can gain an advantage. Uh, oftentimes, everybody has a perspective. Everybody has a way they want to look at things, right? Right? Uh, you know, where you deal with things and, and you stand in one spot. Have you ever had to talk to somebody and they just don't see what you see? That might be one of the most frustrating conversations you have in your entire life. You see it, they don't see it, you want them to see it, you explain it to them, they still don't get it, so you explain it again and they still don't get it. And then you try one more time and they still don't get it, and then you walk away, throw your hands up in disgust, right, and it's over with, right? You're like, they, they aren't getting this, we're done. Uh you realize the Lord doesn't see the way that you and I see. He makes the statement right in 1 Samuel chapter 16, right? Uh, you know, Samuel shows up and he's getting ready to anoint the next king of Israel because of Saul's disobedience. He's getting ready and he's uncorking the bottle when he sees Eliab walk in. He's going, hey, this is the guy. And the Lord says, nope, <laughs> don't, don't anoint him. Why? Because the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Why? Because man looketh on the outward appearance, and the Lord looketh upon the heart. 
Uh, and so man has a view, and we get to see, and we go by what we can see eventually. A lot of times we walk by sight as opposed to by faith. We'll get into that a little later. Uh, but right, we oftentimes we deal with things, and in this life there's a lot of what can we see? What can we see? What can we notice? What can we pay attention? Well, everything looks good. We'll get to that here shortly. Uh, but everything looks good, so we're going to proceed. And God says, wait a minute, I'm looking at the heart. God's view is on the heart. He wants the intents of the heart. You know, the devil, he's looking around too. He's got a view. Right in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, he comes out as the roaring lion walketh about seeking. He's looking for something. Seeking whom he may devour. He says, he says in John chapter 8, in uh, verse number 44, he goes ahead, he wants to devour. He also wants to lie to you. He's a liar and the father of it. That's what he does. Say, so what's he trying to do? Uh, in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, he, he comes, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's looking for an opportunity. The devil's looking, he's seeking for an opportunity. The Lord's looking upon your heart to find out what you're going to do, and you're the one who's looking at the outward appearance. And these perspectives start showing up. You know what the Lord has done? He has given you a Bible to make sure you have the proper perspective. He wants you to see things, and this is kind of going to dovetail with my Sunday school from this morning, uh, but he wants you to see things from the right perspective, get the right view, so that we can go ahead and gain some victories today. And so it's going to keep us out of trouble is what it's going to do. And so let's have a word of prayer, and uh, Lord helping me, we'll preach tonight. Father, I thank you for the night, and we thank you especially for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the assurance of heaven, Father, because you forgave us of all of our sins. Lord, I pray you'd be with our pastor as he is uh, dealing with some things tonight, and I pray you'd be with uh, Brother John Longley and his family and the things they're dealing with. Be the God of all comfort and strength and help. Father, he is not past hope. Where there's life and there's breath, there's hope. So, Father, uh, whatever your will would be done. But, Father, we do pray that you would help us tonight to... Keep our focus the way you'd like it to be. Help us to see the things you need us to see in our own lives and what we're dealing with and how we're dealing with things so that Jesus Christ could be praised. And we pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory. We love you. We pray you'd come back tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, here we are, and uh, I'm taking this familiar spot here on purpose. Uh, I don't want to have to build up all the things that are going on in this passage, okay? Uh, it's familiar to us. We understand the situation. And the situation is that God has given Adam and Eve a proper perspective before we ever got to this spot right here. Right? You look back at chapter 2, of course, in verse number 16 and verse number 17, he lets them know. He commands the man and he says this in verse number 16, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God looks at the man, he tells Adam, he says, Look, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can eat whatever you want to, but that one particular tree will kill you. <laughs> That's the proper perspective. The proper perspective is that is going to be the death of you. <laughs> if you do that, that is death, automatic. You realize 
that God goes ahead and He has given you the Word of God to make sure that you understand what is good for you and what will kill you? He gives you a book to ensure that you understand what is going to help you and what is going to hinder you for your entire life. He lays it out in order. He goes ahead and puts it all down for you. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, right? We, we deal with things, and you know what? Uh, you know what we realize? That until it's in writing, nobody cares. Isn't that amazing now? Well, did you get it in writing? Well, no, it used to be a man's word is bond. Yeah, but not anymore. You better have it in writing. You've got it in writing. He wrote it down, and he put it on paper, and he said, here you go. This is what I can bless, and this is what I can't bless. This is what I can help you with. This is what's going to hinder you. This is what's going to be great for you, and this is what's going to kill you. I set before you life and death. Choose life. But if you don't, you're going to get death. I, I, I've set it all out here. I've given it to you. I've laid it all out page by page, book by book, set it up chapter by chapter and verse by verse so you can figure out exactly where it is every time. You don't have to go searching through and see if you can find it again. Hey, I'll even make it so easy. I'll put a concordance together for you so that you don't even have to look it up. You can just find it in the concordance. You don't have to read the whole thing over again. He's got his whole mind cataloged for you so that you can find what he's thinking. So that you can stay out of danger. He reminds us that salvation is believing in Jesus Christ alone. He tells us how to do that. You know, the proper perspective is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the proper perspective. On salvation. The proper perspective is that mankind is sinful and they're wicked and they're lost and undone and they have no hope of heaven without Jesus Christ. But the world, I talked about it in Sunday school, the world wants to go, well, we're just getting better and everybody's good at heart. And the Lord says, there's none good but God. Man, his best state is altogether vanity. There's none righteous, no, not one. How many times do I got to say it? <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of... The, how many times do you need to hear that mankind is not that great? To figure out mankind is not that great. And God says, hey, look, you need a Savior and Jesus Christ is the Savior. Amen. And He makes sure that the world understands, guess what? Beside Him there is no Savior. Uh, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He makes it very plain, there is nobody else. And he goes ahead and proves it by a book that is infallible. And so infallible, he says, that I'll magnify my word above all my name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he says, you know what, I put that book above my own name. People go, well, bunch of Bible worshipers. I don't worship the Bible, but I know the place that it has. You realize he tells you what prayer does? Isn't his statement, Jesus' statement about it is, ask and ye shall receive. What's your perspective on prayer? Our perspective oftentimes on prayer is not the perspective we're supposed to have. I'll get to that. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. 
God says, hey, how about you ask for it? Brother Gibbs, I like Brother Gibbs. And uh, he goes, he goes, you know, you know, one of the problems with Christians is they want everything as big as they can get it in this life. They go to the drive-through. The illustration I heard was back when it was still able to be supersized, right? It goes, dumbest question they ever ask you, right? Do you want to supersize it? Of course, if you got a size bigger net, I'd take that. Because you want everything big right up until you start praying about it. And the Lord says, hey, I could, I could God-size that. Say, so what size is that? That's the impossible size. Isn't he the one who says, hey, ask of me? Don't you want to ask me? If you ask anything in my name? He can give it to you. Say, well, you know, I'm not one of those naming and claiming people. Me neither. I don't mean it like that. But maybe you have not because you ask not. Now I know you get to the other half and it's you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your own lust and all that. I, I get that. But maybe you'd have some blessings you could have that God just says, hey, I'd give that to you if you'd ask me for it. It's strange that blind Bartimaeus has to ask. Oh, what do you want, Bartimaeus? <laughs> what do you mean, what do I want? I'm a blind beggar on the side of the road. What do you think you want, I want you to do, Lord? I mean, well, that I might receive my sight. Oh, I can do that. Right, the servant comes up. Hey, don't, don't trouble the master anymore. Already dead. Don't bother him. Lord says, oh, hang on. I can take care of that if you ask. I can take care of that. Yeah, but that's impossible. Yeah, that's what I do. Lord says, that's what I do. I do the impossible. Say, what could God do? He can answer. Now, I'm not telling you he's going to say yes every time, but you give him a chance. Maybe he'll throw some yeses you'd never think he'd do. Say, what is that? That's a proper perspective. God wants you to know, I've got promises for you. I could take care of you. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, my needs aren't getting met. Have you asked him? Have you asked him? Maybe you're the reason that you're not getting your needs met because you didn't ask him. You know, people have a funny perspective on sin. I use this a lot, right? James chapter 4, verse 17. You've heard that a lot. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, everybody gets on board with, you know, all unrighteousness is sin. If I, if I do the wrong thing, you know, I, if I told a lie and I broke any of the Ten Commandments, you know, then I'm, then I'm a wicked man. You know, I'm doing the wrong thing. The Lord says, no, if you knew what the right thing was and you just abstained, you didn't do a thing, you've still done wrong. Oops. See, mankind goes, well, as long as I can just keep from doing the wrong thing, 
No, no, righteousness is always doing the right thing. There is no neutral with God. People want to box God in and go, well, you know, if I just kind of wait and bide my time, I can figure out. He, he doesn't have a game like that. He goes, this is right, this is wrong. And if you don't do right, it's automatically in the wrong. And our idea of sin is, well, you know, uh, I just, uh, you know, if I just, if I just keep my nose clean and I don't do anything wrong. You know, the apostle, I believe it was the apostle Paul made the statement that he would sin if he ceased in praying for them. Just real quick, how many of you sinned this week because you didn't pray for somebody you were supposed to pray for? Well, I mean, I didn't do anything bad against him. Yeah, but you didn't do the right thing for him. So I don't like this message. Me neither. But you realize God purposely wants to give you the right perspective on every aspect of your life. He wants you to be able to see what's right, what's wrong, what He can bless, what He can't bless, how to do it right, how to, how to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what we know to be true, teachings, for a proof so that we are told when we're doing it wrong, for correction, how we can do it right, for instruction in righteousness so that we can keep doing it right and not mess it up, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. He put all that in place. Why? So that we could have the right perspective on what we're dealing with. All the time you get asked questions, well, what do you do with this and what do you do with that? Look at the Bible. <laughs> See, that's, so, that's such a generic answer. I... Yeah, yeah, it's terrible that I told you to look at a Bible to find the right answer. Outside of the fact that it always has the right answer. Well, I don't know what those answers are. Okay, well, let's start narrowing some things down and find out what the problems are. And the Lord has answers for those problems. The problem that people have, though, is you give them the right verse and they go, well, that's what you think. No, that was the Lord's perspective on your problem. See, there is a perfect perspective, and it's, and it's right every time. God's right every time. He's never wrong. God's never been in the wrong. We don't like situations, and we don't like problems, and we don't like some of the things we deal with, but God has always got it right. And we can look at the troubles and the trials and the struggles, and if you missed the last two Wednesday nights that pastor was preaching on afflictions, you ought to listen to those. <laughs> Not the last two. Two before. This, well, last Wednesday was on affliction. Uh, you, ought, you ought to listen to those. Because afflictions come, and it's not just because God's trying to be mean to you. That's not why he does it. And you can go ahead and look through the life of Job and find out why the righteous suffer. But the truth is, God does certain things so that you can get the perfect perspective on what He is doing. I'm going to say this, and this, is, this definitely is not in my notes uh, for the message. You realize, Christians oftentimes, preachers do this, and it bothers me. Uh, they make the will of God this mystical, like weird, like the sky has to light up in red 
with uh, blue halos and white lightning letters that tell you that God is calling you to do something. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. It's not this weird mystical thing where the Lord's going to do all these things to make it so that you get the will of God and make it. You say, what does he do? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You start walking with him and he starts showing you some things and you start, you, you know, you go, I think the Lord could call me into missions. I, I think, you know, the Lord might want me to go to mission. Okay, let's go take a missions trip somewhere. Now, you say, well, I mean, the Lord didn't tell me an exact country. Go somewhere. So what does that do? That tells you if that was one of them or not. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't it. But you got to be a blessing to some missionary over there. You helped him out. You got to learn what a mission field is like. You've never been over there. You, you don't know what you're getting into at all. You go over there, you say, oh, well, that, well, that's not quite it. Maybe you find out that the Lord's not calling you into missions at all. But you go, Lord, are you calling me to do something? Okay, let me see if I can find out what he wants me to do. And you start trying the spirits and finding out if doors are going to open. You realize the Apostle Paul, he has saved to go a whole lot of places that he never got to go. Anybody ever read the book of Acts? How many places did he, well, we have saved to go and the Lord didn't want us over there, so we... He knows exactly what he's doing because the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. I got a red light, Shannon. And uh, the Lord, he knows exactly what's going on. Paul doesn't know what's going on. Paul has no clue. But the Lord does. And as the Lord goes ahead and gives him all the new things... And he starts to try that doorknob over there, and the door's locked. He says, okay, I guess that's not it. And then he goes ahead, and he moves over here, and he says, okay, well, that's the right one. That door opened. And okay, and he keeps moving around. You say, what's he doing? He's finding the will of the Lord. And it's not supposed to be weird and hidden. God's not over there going, I don't want him to see what I want him to see, because then he might do what I asked him to do. Isn't that a little counterproductive? Instead, you know what he does? He opens opportunities, and you start taking some opportunities, and the Lord will close doors, he'll open doors, he'll let you go through things. Not just because there's adversaries there doesn't mean that the door's not open. But you've got to figure out when he's doing that. You say, how do I know that? The Lord talking to you and giving you the right perspective. The choices we make and the peace of God that you have, if, you've never, if you aren't living in the peace of God, you have no idea what to do. His peace, it doesn't, the, the, the problems and the troubles and the trials, they don't bother your peace when you're doing what he asked you to do. Those things don't wreck that. And instead, you keep moving forward. You start learning those things. You get the right perspective. You can go ahead and walk the way he wants you to walk and go where he wants you to go. Now, back here in Genesis chapter 3, because I've got to get back to the message. The serpent shows up. And the serpent, he wants, he wants to pretend like he knows. <laughs> you've got the perfect perspective, but then you've got this pretender's pr perspective. He shows up to pretend like he knows what he's talking about. He's a liar. 
That's what he is. And the devil shows up, and it is no coincidence the devil shows up, and immediately the first thing he says is, Yea, hath God said? Hey, what would God say? Do you know what God said? Now let me twist what God said. He wants to, he wants to see if you're going to give him the words, or if you're going to say many like words, <laughs> like Eve does here. And as soon as he can, he'll slip in. He just waits. So that he can do what? Well, in John chapter 8, in verse 44, he corrupts the truth. He's a liar. He wants to corrupt it. He wants the truth to be twisted so that you can't see what the right answer is. He wants the perspective skewed just enough just enough so that you miss your mark. Notice with Eve, he goes, hey, did God say you could eat of every tree of the garden? She, of course, answers, a little bit wrong. I'm not going to get into all that. Say, what did he do? He gets closer to the truth than she did on it. Lest you die goes, goes in the wrong direction. But he says, ye shall not surely die. That's a bold-faced lie. The Lord says, you shall surely die. That's the punishment. And he just goes, oh, you shall not surely die. Just pull her over just enough to get her to miss what God wanted her to get. You know, perspective is an interesting thing. If I went ahead and uh, I just, I just locked in on, on this section of the church right here, and I took a picture of this section right here and said, boy, we had a full house today. It looked pretty good. But if I went all the way to our left, <laughs> my left, your right, it'd look a little different, wouldn't it? If I wanted to, I'd take a good, good little angle right about in this area right here and i catch these two sections just enough to where I catch the mass of people in the middle right here and I say, full house. Or, I get it from right here, <laughs> and there's four people in the room. Nice and narrow, right here. Four people. Neither one of those are true, are they? But they're based on a perspective. The way you're looking at it. The angle God wants you to see is the true angle. He wants you to see the full picture. You know what the devil tries to do? Narrow it down and pick it off just a little bit so that he can make it askew just enough for you to get the lie and believe a lie. That's his goal. His goal is to get the world to believe a lie. Salvation, you've got time. You have no idea if you have time. Not one person on the planet knows how much time they have. Not one. <laughs> You're not guaranteed the rest of the night. But the devil will make you think you do. It's amazing to me. People on their deathbed sitting in a hospital barely can breathe on all sorts of tubes and tanks and everything else. And you know what? The Lord is trying to win them and he's trying to reach to them. And you know what they'll say? I got time. What do you mean you got time? 
You don't have any time. You're out of time. Can't you see that? Hit the button already, man. You are done. You don't have the time. But people today, I got more time. I got more time. I can, tr- I can trust them right at the end. Yeah, till a semi crosses the center line. And you don't have any time. He tells the Christian, yeah, you can get back a little later. You can have a little fun today. It's just one sin. What's it going to hurt? I mean, just do it once. I mean, the Lord's merciful, isn't he? So you can just you can just do whatever you want to, and then you can come back and get him. Just get it right whenever you feel like it. You just live however you want to, and then come back, and he'll just he's got to forgive you. Isn't that funny? Shall we continue in sin that grace might more abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, the God's perspective is no, you don't. Keep me. David asked, asked the Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. Say, what is that? Presuming upon God and His goodness. Say, what does that mean? That means you'll presume that He's going to let you get back to safety before He kills you instead. So what's the devil out to do? He's out to destroy. That's what he's out to do. We know it. We know he's the adversary. We know he's looking around. His perspective is, who can I take out? He's looking for who he can take out. You know what he's going to do? He's going to lie and do it any way he possibly can to get you to change your perspective from the dangers that God is pointing you away from and telling you, hey, avoid that, pass not by it, get away from it, stay away, watch out, that's not good, that's not going to be good for you, it's going to end badly, and the devil goes, hey, it's not going to be that bad. I mean, look at how pleasurable sin is. The Lord says, you're right, for a season. And then it's time to reap. The devil says, oh, uh, I mean, come on. Why would the Lord answer your prayers? Don't you know all the terrible things you've done? I mean, sure. The Lord loves Brother John Wall. And he'd do anything for him. But why would he do anything for you? Say, what is that? That's the devil. You realize you are just as much a child of God as Brother John Wall is? And that he is willing to answer your prayers just as much as he's willing to answer his? And that the mercy and the grace and the love of a holy God is still there for you if you just trust him and ask for it? But you have not because you ask not. Why? Because the devil's got you convinced that why would God do anything for me? Because you're his kid just like I am. Because he wants to bless you just like he would any of his other kids. Because you are that special and particular to him. Well, God doesn't want to hear from you. He wants to hear from you more than you want to hear from him. He wants, he wants you. He wanted the relationship. He wants the relationship so badly, he let his son die in your place so that he could give you eternal life and have a relationship that he started back here in Genesis chapter 3. He had a relationship with mankind in Genesis chapter 2 that he wanted to restore and he put Jesus Christ on the face of this earth so he could once again walk with mankind in everyday life. And we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship. God wanted fellowship with mankind. Fellowship is not a one-way street. 
where the Lord gets to blast you from the Bible and you don't get to talk with Him at all. No fellowship is. He gets to go ahead and tell you things and you get to talk to Him about things and you get to bear burdens and share and do what He asks you to do and have a great time doing it. And the devil goes, well, why would he want to do that with you? Because behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Because he made you his kid. Why wouldn't he do that for you? He loves you. He loves us more than we understand. I think he loves us more than we can even comprehend. Could you? I just can't comprehend why he would love me. How can it be, how can it be that thou my God shouldst die? How, why, why would he do that for me? I can't get it. I can't really explain that. Why would he do that for me? I can't figure out. I'm worthless. I know who I am. The Lord says, yeah, but I love you. I love you. The devil says, yeah, but uh, don't you remember that you did this and this and this? And the Lord says, yeah, but I forgave that. That's all taken care of. We're fine now. There's nothing in the way. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. The devil's there, and he's going to lie, and he's going to lie, and he's going to lie. He's going to try and twist things around. He's going to try and do everything he possibly can to make it so that your perspective gets shifted just enough so that you'll do what he wants. That's what Eve does. Notice the first part of Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6. And when. And when she saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired. She didn't look at that. In verse number 1, she wasn't looking at the tree like it was good for food or pleasant to the eyes or a tree to be desired to make. She wasn't looking at it that way. So how is she looking at it? I can't eat that one. That's going to kill me. <laughs> that tree isn't safe. And the devil got just enough of her perspective to get her to look at it just a little bit and go, I mean, that does look awful tasty. That does look like something that could help me out. I mean... I could be like God. Just enough. Just enough to get her to see the way he wants her to see it. You know what the devil does? He makes it so your feelings get hurt. He, he makes it so you feel bad. Well, so-and-so, they just, they hurt me so bad. With their, they said, they probably have no idea they even said it. I get it. Some people hurt people and they do it on purpose. and all, I, I get it. I've had it done, all right? I, am, I too am a victim. I'll play my card whenever I feel like it. Or beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And they probably didn't mean it like that. They didn't even know. They had no idea what they were doing. 
You realize most people, I'm just going to be honest, most people, they're oblivious (laughs) to most of the things that they say that way. They, They really don't know. They didn't know you were having a bad day. They didn't know something in your past that if they said it, it triggered whatever memory or whatever else happened with you. They, they, don't, they have no idea how you're feeling that day. They made a joke. They made a comment. They did whatever. They just kind of, and they just kept walking like they didn't even do anything. Because to them, they didn't do anything. <laughs> you're the only one who thinks something terrible happened right then. There was no malice of forethought. There was no malice at all. But the devil got you to think there was. He got you to think that everybody's against you. Well, everybody hates me and nobody likes me and and I didn't get a call this month and uh, nobody really cared. That's the way the devil wants you to think. The devil wants you to think that your feelings are hurt. And he goes ahead and gets you thinking about all the feelings and he stirs them all up real quick and gets you to think that everybody's against you and you're the worst person ever because nobody wants to ever talk to you and you're just... And you know what he does? And I can't get into everything the devil does because that'd be forever, right? What he does is he makes somebody go, well, nobody likes me. And so they start to pull away. Real quick, he that hath friends must... Show himself friendly. Well, I don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. So I'll be less friendly. So what did the devil do? Made you go against the word of God a little farther. And isolated you. So that he can do what? Just keep lying to you and you just keep believing him. Nobody cares about it. Nobody likes it. Okay, Maybe you ought to try to be more friendly. Stick around and hang around. Just try and talk to people. Try, try and relax around some folks. And just, well, nobody likes me. Do they even know you? Anyways, I'm going to get off of that. You know what the devil tries to do? He says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1, Who hath bewitched you from the truth? You got the truth, and he says, Who bewitched you? Who tricked you into that? Not believing the truth anymore. God hands you a proper perspective. He says, Hey, who's making you think that that's not right anymore? Later in the book, he says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? Who made it so that you couldn't believe that God is right? Who made you think that God wasn't going to be good to you and answer your prayers? Who made you think that God was against you and the church is against you and the preacher is against you and your church family is against you and everybody hates you and your family doesn't love you and nobody cares and nobody... Who bewitched you into that? Because it wasn't God. It wasn't Him. Who bewitched you into thinking that God would never want to do anything with you or for you? Christians have this idea. I'm going to slide this in too. Why not? You know, 
I think half the problem with people, men who don't want to go and be on the mission field or call to preach, or I think most of the time, you know what that is? It's fear of failure. They're afraid to try anything because what if I don't succeed? Um, I don't know about you, uh, Jeremiah was a great success story, wasn't he? All those converts that he piled up. In the world's eyes, Jeremiah's a failure. In the Lord's eyes, not the same. <laughs> See, you go, well, I, I don't want to fail. You know what you're doing when you don't do what he asked? You're failing. And the devil's got you convinced that I'm going to fail if I go and try. And Isaiah's still standing there, and the Lord's still going, who will go for us? And Isaiah's willing to say, here am I, send me. And sadly, too many people go, well, I just, you know, I don't know if I could ever do. And you're probably right. I want you to know, I don't think I ever could. Here I stand. You have two pastors, three, and all three of us would agree, none of us are worthy to be doing what we do. We're not worthy, not ourselves. What great thing have I done better than anybody else in here? There isn't. Say, what did we do? I'll do something. I'll do something. Say, well, what if the Lord tells me no? that he doesn't want me to be a preacher, then rejoice and do what he told you to do. He'll tell you what else to do. I want you to know if everybody comes up here to preach, you got nobody listening to you. So it's not really helpful. Uh, what kind of a church do you have if you're the only one there and you're preaching it yourself? Uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, might as well stay home at that point. Um, but the Lord, he's working. And the devil's doing everything he can to twist your perspective. To get you to just not see things the way God wants you to see them. He's constantly around you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You know what you have? You have the devil and the world and your own flesh all working against you on your mindset and what you see and how you want to see it. Constant pressure. Constant push for you to do what? To see things any other way than God's way. To get you just to not look at it his way because as soon as you stop looking at it God's way, you know what you have? You have a great opportunity of failing. Eve had no idea she was about to destroy the entire human race at that particular moment and the fall of man is right here. And it was all done just because the devil got her to look when she saw the tree was good for food wasn't good for food before verse 6. But when you got to verse 6, it was to her. And she takes that, and the devil finally got it. Just what? Just got her to see it the way he wanted her to see it. He wanted her to see it a certain way. Because he knew as soon as she did, she'd take it. What perspective do you have? 
one of the weirdest things, one of the weirdest things in the Old Testament is in Numbers chapter 15. You got that guy that picks up sticks on the Sabbath day and gets stoned to death for it. That's terrible. Isn't that weird? You know what mankind's feeling on that is? Why would you kill him for that? That seems pointless, doesn't it? I mean, he was just picking up sticks. What difference does it make? I'll tell you what the difference is. The Lord told him not to. And he told him the consequences. And he did it anyway. That seems like a frivolous death. Yeah, because you want to think of it the way you want to think of it. How about this? Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. If you pick up sticks on the Sabbath day, you're stoned. I've magnified my word above all my name. That's how serious I am at the command I just gave. And then he went against it. You know what he deserves? He deserves to be stoned. But you and I look at that as a human being, the way that we're programmed as a human being, we go, oh, that just seems, isn't that a little harsh of a punishment? Do you realize that one lie sends everybody to a lake of fire for all of eternity? One lie. All liars shall have their part. One lie. Eternity in a lake of fire for one lie. Why? Because God laid out the rule. And he gave it to you plain. And he gave you the perspective. And the perspective is, if you break my command, that's the punishment. Now I'm going to slide in one more spot right here and I'm done. You know where I'm going, Matthew chapter 28. Verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know what the devil says? I mean... You can witness with your life. Just let your life speak for itself. Well, I mean, you're, you're doing pretty good. Well, you know, you're at least a good person. They'll come and talk to you eventually. He didn't tell you to wait for them to come. He told you to go. I think we've lost our perspective on a lot of things. Because the world keeps weighing us down and the devil keeps dragging some things in and our flesh wants to be lazy. And the Lord said, I want you to go. I want you to do some things. 
he looks at those disciples and he says, hey, look onto the fields, for they are white already on the harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers into his harvest. Say, so what was the problem with the disciples? They couldn't see a harvest. They had the wrong perspective. How's your perspective tonight? How's your perspective on a lost world? How's your perspective on your prayer life? How's your perspective on your walk with the Savior? How's your perspective on your own sin? How's your perspective? Is it too much like the world and the devil and they, everything they want? And it's all about your feelings and all about what you want and all about how you want to do things and your wisdom and your greatness? Or do you keep checking it with this book and making sure you're still looking at the right things and looking at it the right way and trying to see it through God's eyes and go, hey, there is a harvest I need to go to. Hey, I'm tired of doing that same thing over and over again. It is a big deal. My sin is a big deal. My transgression is big, and it doesn't matter if everybody else thinks it's small. It's big because it's my mistake, and it's my failure, and it's my sin, and I ought to be stoned on a Sabbath day because of it. Because I'm not doing what he told me to do. But we make all those things no big deal. We make our prayer life no big deal. We make the Word of God no big deal. We make church no big deal. We make being a witness no big deal. When too many times the Word of God makes sure you understand that's a big deal. Maybe you lost your perspective. Maybe tonight you get it back. Let's go ahead and stand. Our perspective ought to be one where the Word of God is preeminent, where Jesus Christ is preeminent, where you and I are looking at the things He wants us to look at the way He wants us to look at them so that He can help us get our victories. Get us past our sin. Get us past those hurts and those pains. Get us past all those pieces so that Jesus Christ can be honored and glorified every moment of every day. We are distracted far too often from the goal that God wants us to have. Father, I do thank you for the night. I pray you would help us. Father, to get our eyes and our minds set right, you tell us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You tell us that we ought to be going ahead and seeing Jesus. Father, I pray you'd help us to have the right perspective on the things in our lives so that we might be a help and a and a blessing to some others. Lord, help us to come, that you'd come back soon, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.